there. You probably have to scoot ahead a little bit there. Um, but there are these three things, Christ-like environment, Christ-like discipline, and Christ-like instruction from what it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And just leave that up there for right now, my brother. And, and what we said is that God has given us a responsibility as parents. And we cannot control how our kids will behave or how they will turn out. But we are responsible for God fulfilling the God-given role and calling that he's called us to do. And what they make of it, what this plant makes of it, is his business. He or she will be accountable for God. I will be accountable as a parent, as a grandparent, as a person before God for what he's asked me to do. And so what, what God has asked parents specifically to do is to provide that environment, right? That's that bring them up, according to Ephesians uh, 6.4. And, and, and uh, go ahead and go back one, uh, Brother Jim, uh, to, to the environment there. And we said that environment is that love. It's, it's loving touch. It's abundant time. It's encouraging talk. That's the soil that needs to be happening in our homes and, and how we relate to our kids. That's unconditional love that we're showing them. And then last week we talked about they need discipline because they need structure. And we talked about that it's okay to be a parent and to lead your child because they're like they're like a little lamb. And lambs get lost and lambs get confused and lambs wander off and get stuck in bushes. And they need leadership, right? So it's okay to be a parent and lead them and not try to be your child's best friend. They cannot like you for a while because you're going to say, hey, there are some guidelines there are some rules. There are some things you will and won't do. And that's okay. They need discipline because that discipline really provides them with security. Amen. And then today we're going to talk about the title of today's message is, is, is how do I build significance? And go ahead and show that picture there. The last, the last thing is kind of like the water. It's the instruction or it's the teaching. And again, all this comes out of Ephesians 6, 4. You can find those uh, three things there. Bring them up and the discipline and instruction or teaching of the Lord. So what are we teaching our kids? And really, we're going to teach them how to be significant. Just realized there was a microphone above my head. Just touched me there. I got a little worried that it's a bug or something. Man, so that was scary. That was new. All right, pay attention, Pastor. And, um, and so how do we build significance in our kids? How do we, what is significance? And how do we build that? And that's the question we're going to answer today. How do kids feel important and value? Do they have an identity? That, that I have a reason for existing on this earth? That I, as a child, have a purpose? For why I'm here and how can we as parents help them understand that and it comes through the teaching of what we teach them. But have you ever noticed that child, that children and adults, we're all trying to build our own significance anyways? Have you noticed that? Adults and kids, right? Little kids at the lunch table, right? Pulls out his lunch box, gets it all open there. And what does he pull out? He pulls out the biggest brownie you ever seen, right? And it's soft. It's chewy. It's gooey. It's got chunks of chocolate in there. And what does he say to his friends? Na-na-na-boo-boo. Look at my chocolate brownie. You got carrot sticks. I'm more significant than you are, right? He pulls out a soda. Look what I got. I got a soda. You got half water, half juice box, organic stuff. And uh, look what I got. Or now it's flipped. Now, now it's cool to have uh, all the organic stuff. So nowadays, kids might pull out the carrot sticks and say, nan, nan, boo boo. I got carrot sticks. My mom loves me. Also, you're going to get diabetes because you got that chocolate chunk brownie. I'm reducing my carbon footprint. I'm recycling because I got a bento box. Nan, nan, boo boo. That. Right? And kids just want to play king of the hill and all that. So they're trying to say, I'm significant. 
Look at me, right? You know how little kids are like, wow, watch, watch me do this. Watch me do this. Check out. Look, look, and, and, and you know, let me, let me twirl. Watch me do this. Let me do a cartwheel for you. Look, look at me. Am I somebody significant? Teenagers, praise God for the teenagers and the preteens and the tweens. Amen. And, um, you know, we got to have name brand clothes, right? We got to have, we got to have the latest fashions and the styles. And listen, I know we got some teenagers, preteens in here. It's okay because your parents did the same thing, and they can show you pictures of how goofy they looked, and you are going to look back at your own pictures and say, why did you let me wear that? And you're going to say, it's just something we got to go through, honey. It's just something we got to go through. Well, why do we have to wear this stuff? Because I feel so insecure. I'm scared to death that if I walk into that classroom without the right kind of shoes or jeans or shirt on, people are going to tell me that I'm so insignificant. I can remember being in like the fifth grade, man. Everybody had some Jordans or some Nikes, some Reeboks, right? My family, we, could, we couldn't afford that, right? Some Vans, I don't know. what. Okay, I had some dollar store XJ900s. And I can remember the kid's name, Tremaine Lewis. He had some Jordans too. God bless you, Tremaine, if you ever hear this. Although he was my friend. He was the first kid invited me over to his house, and he had a pool in his house. And, um, and so... I was grateful that Tremaine invited me over, but Tremaine had some J's and I had some. And he says, what are some XJ900s? And I can just remember wanting to crawl underneath the desk, right? Because it's saying I'm not significant. I'm not somebody important. I don't have any value because of what I, where we all try to do this. And listen, parents, before we get too difficult on the kids, we do the same thing. We as parents are trying to build our identity and our significance in all kinds of other things. A lot of times, in fact, what gets us into most trouble with our kids is that we're trying to build our identity in our kids. And so we're talking about my child is taking 26 AP classes. What is your child doing? Oh, oh, okay. Well, did you see my child hit, hit the home run? Did you see my child? Slendy? My child's got first chair in the oboe. Um, and, uh, you know, like, and, and, and we tend to take our identity and our kids, we're trying to say to all the other parents, I'm significant, I'm more significant than you. And again, we can do it in all kinds of ways, you know. We're often trying to puff on our tails and build our significance. And you know what the reality is, though? It's all built on sand. That's all paper, cardboard significance. What we need and what we want truly as believers is a bedrock concrete significance, amen, that can't be changed regardless of my performance, that can't be changed regardless of what happens to me in my future or what I wear or what my income is. I have a bedrock significance in the rock of my salvation who has called me, who has chosen me, who loves me, who tells me I'm valuable and significant because he has made me significant. And that can never be taken away. Doesn't matter what kind of GPA I graduate with. And don't get me wrong. We're going to talk a lot today. Sports are not bad. GPAs are not bad. Playing musical instruments are not bad. Having a lunchbox is not bad. Eating brownies is not bad. Okay? Eating care sticks is not bad. It's all the placement of those things. It's all, am I seeking my identity and my significance in those things? And am I, as a parent, helping my child? Am I helping build their castle on sand? And am I setting my child up for ultimate failure? Amen? And so what we're going to say today is really counterintuitive. We want our kids to have bedrock significance. So what do we teach them? What do we teach them? It's the gospel. This is what we teach them. Most think, though, most think what we teach them as Christian parents is rules, right? Rules. Just don't do this. Don't do that. 
Be kind. Be nice. Be honest. Don't be rude. Um, don't smoke. Don't chew. Don't date girls who do. Right? And, and, and we just give kids a list of rules as if that is the gospel, as if that's enough. Christianity, ladies and gentlemen, I hope most believers understand the gospel is not just about rules. It's the appro- appropriate placement of rules. We need rules. But that's not the whole picture. It's the gospel. And so what is the, co- the gospel, right? That's what we need to understand. What is the gospel? Well, it's the good news, some people would say. Or it's this, or it's Jesus rose from the dead. Yes, but what is the whole story of the gospel? Because kids are going to build their significance on something. And in, in, in being uh, an athlete, or being a YouTube star, or being a video game, or being uh, smart, or they're going to build their identity and their significance on something that will fail them if it's of this earth. And parents, we must not continue to feed and polish their idols for them. We must tell them the truth about the gospel. Amen. So we're going to look in Deuteronomy chapter 6, um, and uh, we're going to read the first uh, nine verses. I don't know if I got them out of order for you there, Brother Jim. Uh, and I don't know what that'll do, but we'll just go with it, okay? Um, John may have already fixed it, but we're going to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. You guys ready? All right, let's dig in. It says this. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord, your God, commanded me to teach you. This is Moses speaking, by the way, to the children of Israel. They've come out of slavery in Egypt. He just gave them the Ten Commandments, right? So the rules are not bad. You need rules and discipline. But that's not the whole story. So he says this. And to the land which you are going to possess. They're getting ready to come into the promised land. Verse 2. That you may fear that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your sons and your sons' sons. That's your grandchildren, in case you didn't get that. By keeping all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel. This is an extremely uh, popular verse among our Jewish brothers and sisters called the Shema or the Shema. In fact, o- over Easter, I was uh, eating lunch with my in-laws uh, where they live, their assisted living facility, and, and we invited a, a fellow to come eat with us. And he said, well, I'm Jewish. And uh, I said, come on over. And we were about to bless the food. And he said, well, can I say the blessing too? And I said, absolutely. And this is what he prayed. He prayed the, the Shema, except for he did it in Hebrew. And I won't attempt to speak in tongues like that uh, for you here today. But uh, verse 3, here, therefore, Israel, be careful to do them, and it may go well with you. Um, and then it keep, keeps going with me. And that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing milk and honey. And here it is. Ready? Verse 4. This is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your, where? Heart. And you shall teach them. Who shall teach them? You. No, the Sunday school teacher shall teach them. No, the VBS worker shall teach them. The the children's ministry person, the youth pastor shall teach them. Who's it say? You shall teach them. That's our job as parents. We're their first teachers. Praise God for the body of Christ that comes around us and helps us, right? But it's our responsibility. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. How many of you sit in your house, by the way? Anybody sit in your house before? Good. You can do this. Oh, wait. There's like two people that sit in their house. All the rest of you have no furniture. Okay. 
Caleb, can you help me out with that? When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, how many of you walk somewhere? Yes, you walked. You got out of the car, walked in the parking lot today. Thank you for your participation. You're qualified. Okay, when you lie down, how many of you lie down? Yep, some of you are trying to lie down right now. I see you. I see you. I'm going to take a selfie with you. <clears throat> when you lie down, when you rise, when you rise, how many of you rose this morning? All right. And you shall, verse 8, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them down on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that it's true. Thank you that it, it's, it's, this is an eternal book, not an old book. It's eternal. It's good and correct and true for all times, for all people in every country, in every time zone, in every year. God, thank you for an eternal book that speaks, that gives us wisdom on how to live. Thank you that it's true. It's inerrant. Father, we just pray, God, that you would speak to us today. You'd help us to see Jesus more clearly because most of all, we all need you. We need the gospel to help us. Whether we're parents or not, we're single, we're married, doesn't matter. We need you. We don't want to build our significance on shifting sands. We want to build our significance on the rock of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what is the gospel you may ask? You can write this down. I think there are some notes. That was the other sheet of paper that was in your bulletin there. Let's, we're going to do a little acronym here. Gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L. I can spell today. And uh, real quick, it stands for God's, our sins, paying everyone life. Okay, if you didn't get that, we're moving on. Just kidding. We're going to take them one at a time. So letter G starts with God. God created us to love him and to reflect his glory. As one pastor often says, God is the gospel. God is the gospel. And we were created to love him and to reflect, to demonstrate back his glory, his beauty. We were created to be dazzled, to be amazed, to be mesmerized, to be fascinated, to be enthralled with this infinitely good, powerful God. It begins and, end, and ends with him. He is the alpha and the omega. And we were created to worship him. How many of you know that every person, listen to me now, is a worshiper? You may not go to church, may not be religious, but every single person was hardwired to worship. We all worship something, right? Think about it. We give our love, our devotion, our praise, our time to a number of crazy things. And again, I'm not going to say these things are bad. They're just in the wrong place when they become our God. But we were created, our children were created to be dazzled, to be amazed, to be enthralled, to be mesmerized with this awesome God. Look with me at verse 4, right? Look at verse 4. It says this, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That means he's it. He's the one and only. Uh, some translations, yours may have a footnote in it. It may say the Lord alone. He's it. Again, he's the alpha. He's the omega. We are created to, to give our praise, our adoration to him alone. But I need you to know that you are instinctively and compulsively a worshiper. You will go out every day looking for something to amaze you, to dazzle you. And kids do the same thing. They're looking for something to satisfy them, to dazzle them. And our job is to point kids up to a great God, not, not to a rule. We don't point our kids to a rule. We point our kids, we point ourselves up to a great and amazing God. Amen? We were created to worship, 
and it's uniquely human. You know, I don't think animals worship. Do y'all think animals worship? I mean, they may worship in their own way. Like birds are singing their song. That's a worship song, right? I mean, I believe that. That's cool. But I don't know they're worshiping the same way we are. You know, penguins, I've never seen this before. Penguins are probably not out in the Arctic on, on the icebergs, right? Um, you know, judging one another um, about how well they did the dive. They're not out there like, ah, 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 ah. okay, Peter, Peter Penguin just took another dive. The judges, what do we say? You know, and they give them sixes and sevens, and they're rating each other, all that sort of stuff. Penguins probably are not doing that, right? Bears, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. You're right. Okay? Hey, look, man, I love to watch some nature shows, and I've never seen those penguins doing that in those nature shows. I know they believe everything on TV. Okay, but listen, bears, bears, grizzly bears, and brown bears. That's an amazing creature, right? A bear can catch a swimming fish out of a raging stream with a bear paw. Pun intended. No, no, no even opposable thumb. I don't know if they use their paws or they catch it with their mouth. Whatever they do, it's pretty amazing, right? Okay, but they're not out there, right, with commentators like, well, Greg, Big Brown just caught 28 in a row. It's a new record for us here at the stream. Okay, little cubs don't grow up with, with pictures of Big Brown on their cave wall, right? And a little Nike, uh, you know, chest, little shaved into their chest, right? But when we watch sports, right, we're cheering. We see, we see James Harden pull back, you know, for Houston and, and, and nail the three or then complain or something like that. I don't know, you know, but like, you see these athletes and what do we do when we cheer? We're, we are amazed. We are enthralled. We are in many instances worshiping. This guy, man, he, he ran to the outfield before the homer hit, and he got to the back wall and jumped up so high and just caught it. And we're like, yes, that's awesome. Look at his – how did he do that? It was superhuman. He's like – he stands above these mere mortals, and we end up worshiping. It's like, wow, this is amazing. The guy catches the touchdown, right, and is just able to get his his toes in the line before he falls down. Another guy tackles him. Somebody does a, a amazing ice skating thing and is spinning around faster than – then I don't know what and, and can't get dizzy and they land it and go someplace else. And man, it's like you are enthralled. We are amazed with that, right? We all do this. We all do this. We're made to worship. We see these incredible things. But here's what I want you to know. Here's what we need to remind ourselves of is that our meaning, listen to me now, our meaning is never found in ourselves. Our meaning is found in what we worship. So if we are worshiping those things instead of God, then we will become meaningless. If we worship academics or success or we worship the opinions of our friends, we become what we behold. We become worthless. We actually lose our significance by worshiping lesser things instead of the greatest thing. Amen. Little kids love to collect stuff, right? That's an, that's an act of worship, right? They collect rocks. They collect cards. They collect Hot Wheels. Big kids collect Hot Wheels, right? I mean, we collect all kinds of things because we're amazed, we're mesmerized, and, and we got to protect these things, right? And we have to work hard and we have to bow down again. I'm not saying it's wrong to have any of these things. I got me some Marvel cars from back in the days. I got me some Infinity War gauntlet stuff where it was even in the movies, right? I got it in a little case and, um, and it's protected, right? It's not wrong to have it. It's just wrong if we end up worshiping it. Kids love to worship power and influence. You ever seen little four-year-old CEOs? You know what I'm talking about? Little, little girls just bossing everybody around? I have a few of those in my house. Daddy, you will have a tea party with me today. Okay. I'm going to sit down. Not there, Daddy. Okay. 
The seat's empty. No, Fluffy is sitting there. I don't see Fluffy. Fluffy is sitting there. Okay, your seat's over there, Dad. I already have it planned. Right? They're worshiping power and influence, right? Little CEOs out there at the recess telling everybody about the latest style. Pink is in, ladies. You're wearing green today. Right? And all the little girls are like, oh, man, she's popular. She just told us. Uh, pink is in, green is out, and everybody's running around like, oh, what am I going to do? Right? They love to worship power and influence. They love to worship pride and performance. Right? We will sacrifice. Some kids will sacrifice to be in the limelight to perform for others. Some kids worship rush and adrenaline, right? They got to do something crazy. They got to learn the best skateboarding trick. They got to do something wild to impress their friends, right? They're, uh, they're, they're worshiping that rush, that feeling, and the approval they get from others going, yes, that was awesome. Others worship the fear of man being approved by others. And so they have to have the latest gadget or the right, the right clothes. We're craving to be known. We cover for our friends, even when our friends do bad things, right? We're more loyal to our friends than we are to other people. We worship those things. And so we worship so many false things. And we've got to point ourselves to a bigger picture, to a higher picture, to God, right? And who he is. And that we were created to reflect his glory not absorb his glory, not say, worship me, not say, look at me, but look at God. We were created to be like a mirror. So when people look at us, we reflect back up to God. Amen. And that's what kids were created to do as well. And so how do we do this? Practically speaking, man, we just point everything we experience back up to God. This is how you do it on a, on an average every day. You have a great day. It's a beautiful spring day. You went out to Mount Trashmore. They had fun at school. It was a good day. They got on the green sticker. They got a lollipop, whatever it was. They made an A. And, uh, hey, you had a good day today? Yeah, Dad, I had a good day today. Man, we, 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 we went out. You did this. We played hard. You got to play with your friends. Wasn't that awesome? That was so awesome. That was a great day. Hey, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says in the book of James, every good and perfect gift comes from God. So God gave us this day, son. God gave us this day, daughter. Man, could you imagine? This day was a good day. Could you imagine how much better the days are going to be when we're finally in the presence of God? Right? Could you if, if God is so good to give us this thing, how much better is he? You get a new little puppy. The kids love that puppy. The puppy's running around chasing his tail. The kids are chasing the puppy. He's licking their faces. They're falling out of the puppies are cute and, and just forget about the whole potty training thing. Okay, but otherwise, the, the, the kids are just loving that puppy. They're, they're snuggling with them. He's just licking them. And they just, the kids are so, they love that puppy, right? They're just having such a great time. Hey, son, daughter, that puppy's happy, isn't it? That puppy is so happy. That puppy makes me happy. I love that puppy, Dad. Hey, do you know what? God created that happy little puppy. If, if that puppy is that, do you know God is way happier than that puppy? If he created that puppy to be happy, how much greater is God's happiness? We serve a happy and joyful God. Man, let's thank God for that puppy, right? You go eat some ice cream, talk about how good the ice cream is, walking around, right? Just average everyday thing, right? Remember the verses 7 through 10 uh, or 7 through 9, right? Look, look, look back with me. This is the one I kind of slowed us down on verse 7, right? You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. What is he talking about? He's talking about everyday life. These are all normal things. It's not saying you only talk about God on Sunday. You only pray at, at mealtimes. You only pray when you're in church. But it's every day you're talking to your kids about the glory and, and the mesmerizing, awesome, dazzling God that we serve. You go through a big thunderstorm, maybe like how it was last night, and your kids are scared. My kids start running down the hallway. They hear the big boom, boom, boom and, 
and the windows, you know, rattle and all that sort of stuff. And they come flying down the hallway. You can hear the steps. <laughs> and they're up in the bed. And, uh, hey, you scared? Yeah, yeah. That thunder was kind of loud. Yeah, it was. Dad. It was loud. Hey, we serve a God who is greater and more powerful than that thunder. Every, every moment we get to point back up to God because God is the gospel. Amen? You're looking at the flowers. You see ducks, whatever. Point back to God, how creative he is. Not just one time, but every day. Amen? So G is God. God created us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to reflect back his glory. And then O. O stands for our. Our what? Our sins must be punished by God. Ooh, preacher, I love what you were talking about, but now you just took a curve. We can't talk about sin. We can't talk about punishment. And kids need to know, and this may seem counterintuitive, kids need to know what sin is, need to know that they are sinners, and need to know that God will hold us accountable and will punish sin. And the sin is that we don't love God like we should, right? Look, look, look at verse 5. What does verse 5 tell us? Verse 5 says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your what? heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might or your strength. That's the same thing. And have we really loved God with all of our heart, with all of our soul? No, we've loved other things way more than we've loved God, right? And we see it in all these different ways. We love ourselves. We want to glorify ourselves. And we're dead. We're God's enemies. We have willfully rejected his kind rule. And our hearts are wicked and evil. We get rid of his authority. There's all kinds of ways that we see this, right? You see this every instance, right? You don't need a whole lot of training to be around a kid to see that they demonstrate this, their sin, very easily. No! No! Hands on their hips, okay? Hitting a sibling, stealing food. I mean, all kinds of things, right? Little babies. You try to put little babies in just this little big. You try to put them in a car seat. If you ever try to wrestle a baby or a toddler that doesn't want to get in the car seat, you have fought a fierce battle because they're arching their back. They're like, I will not be restrained by you. And they're like, they're, they're trying like, you will not lock me up. I mean, what are they saying? They're saying, I am the Lord your God and you will worship me alone. I am boss baby and I will tell you what to do. Kids have sin, and there's so many ways to point it out. Just using normal life, they're fighting over a game. They're speaking disrespectfully. And then we need to ask this question. Now, listen, I'm not talking about, you know, talk about you are such a little sinner. Why did you do that to your sister? How dare you? That's not what we're talking about. That's demonic, okay? That's wicked. But talking honestly and authentically with your kids. Hey, why did you hit your sister? Because she, she, she took my toy. Were you playing with it? No, but it's my toy. So you don't want to share your toy. You have something else. No, but it's mine. Right? You know the toddler creed, right? And, um, you know, if it was ever mine at one point, it's mine, it's mine. It's a whole little poem. You can go look that up, the toddler creed. And, um, hey, hey, hold on. Just Let's just slow down a second. She's having fun playing with that toy. You're having fun playing with this toy. You don't, Why can't she enjoy that? Because you What does that say about your heart? You don't want her to enjoy something? You've got to have it all. Okay, you just, what does that say about your heart? It says you don't care about the other person. 
Why did you hit them? Because they. So you believe it's right to physically wound other people because they're not doing what you want? I mean, that's, that's like me, you know. He took my parking spot. Took my parking spot. I'm going to kick in reverse. I'm going to ram into his car. Right? Would that be okay? No, that wouldn't be okay, right? Like we understand that. You illustrate that. What does this prove? It proves my heart is sinful, Dad. And, and you have those kind of conversations with your kids, with your What does this prove, right? You don't, you don't just smack them all over the head and chase them down the hallway. You're a dirty little sinner. No. You talk about, hey, you know what? Mama's a sinner too. I had to apologize to, uh, to Sydney, my eight-year-old, just yesterday because we were at a volleyball match and I was screaming and I said um, a discouraging remark um, that I shouldn't have said and my child repeated it. And I was like, Sydney, don't say that. <laughs> Dad was wrong. I shouldn't have said that, right? And then I had to sit there and repent from what I did. Because why? Why did I say that? Because things are not going my way, and I feel like i got to rise up and, and, and say something to hurt somebody else when things aren't going my way. And so our sins must be punished by God. And we understand, kids understand punishment. We have disobeyed. It's not going to ruin their significance. It's going to help them build their significance on the right thing. And so we must do this, right? You can ask the quit. Hey, hey, if a kid, you got off the bus and a, and, a, and a big kid came off the bus and he came and he took a rock and hit you upside the head and you were bleeding all over the place, should, should we punish this kid? Yes, right? He, he, they understand. They get punishment. They understand that, okay? And, um, and so they understand that Romans 3.23 is, is a great reminder, a great verse trying to, for all have sinned, all of us, children, adults included, and have fallen what? short of the glory of God. And so we illustrate that and we help our kids to see that using all their normal everything by asking those questions. Okay, now you, you did this. What does that prove? What is that showing about your heart right now? You really don't care about your sister. You really don't want to listen to me right now. You knew you weren't supposed to leave this room and you left it instead. What does that tell you? You don't like authority. Okay, understand this? And so that's our our sins. And then S, as we move on here, we're moving right ahead. Sins. Sins can't be removed by good deeds. Sins can't be removed by good deeds. No, no amount of washing, no amount of cleansing, no amount of praying, no amount of church attendance, no amount of Bible memorizations or VBS attendance will wash away our sins. No church membership will wash away your sins. They cannot be removed by good deeds. Deeds. Look at look at verse six, right? Verse six is reminding us these words that I command you today shall be where in your heart and our heart has shown itself to be wicked and to not keep God's words in there. Isaiah 64 verse six says this. All of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous acts are like what? Filthy rags. We are shriveled up like a leaf, right? Like a, like a leaf in the fall that's all crumpled and brown and crumbly. Like the wind, our sins sweep us what? Away. Sins cannot be removed by good deeds. And this is where you can talk about the rules and the commandments. And, you have, and then we need to let them know, hey, listen, no amount of good deeds makes up for what we have done. Because we have offended a holy and righteous God. His ways are perfect. And we have distorted his ways. So maybe a little practical thing. Do some simple things right? like this. Like bake some cookies, right? I don't know how long you bake cookies. 
and I don't know why all my illustrations are about food, but don't judge me, okay? I just, I just love cookies, amen, and brownies. And, um, and so, but bake some cookies. They're supposed to bake them for five or ten minutes, right? Bake them an hour, right? Don't burn down your house, but bake. I mean, they need to be crispity, crunchity, not peanut buttery, but just black and, and like, like soot and ashes, right? And, uh, and you take those cookies out, and, um, and, and you get ready to put them on plates for your kids. And your kids are going, what is wrong with you? We're going to eat these cookies. I'm not eating that. Now, if you got kids like mine, my kids will still try. All right? My kids will still try. If, if it looks like a cookie, maybe it's chocolate, Dad. And uh, they'll try it. And then real quick, they'll be like, oh, my gosh, that was disgusting. Right? And then you can say, is there something wrong with these cookies? Yeah, Dad, they're burnt. So they're not the way they're supposed to be? Yeah. Okay. Hey, what if we put these out for our guests and for our friends and, 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 and you can invite some friends over? No, Dad, we can't. Is something wrong with them? Yes, something is wrong with them. You know, that's kind of like sin. It's us. We were made to be something special, <sighs> smelling good and fragrant, and, and, and we're meant to have a purpose. But we have been ruined by sin, and sin has ruined us. Hey, what's the best, what's the best thing we should do with these cookies? Throw them in the trash, Dad. That's what God needs to do to us. See, that's the punishment for sins, is that, is that God created a place called hell. He didn't create it for us. He created it for the demons and Satan. But because of our sin, because we have joined teams with Satan, we have switched sides, we have hated God, we have walked away from God, that's our only place. That's the rightful place for these cookies. That's the rightful place for us because of what we have done. That's going to hurt his significance. No. You're going to build a significance on the right things, right? And they can't be removed. And you get to say, hey, could these cook? what do these cookies need? Could they, could they fix themselves? We'll put some water on them. Let's soften them up. No, nothing we can do. What do these cookies need? These cookies need a miracle. These cookies need to be made new. They need to be made born again. We need a brand new cookie to start over fresh. And that's what the gospel does for us. God gives us a new heart, a soft heart, a chewy, gooey, delicious, fragrant heart. Let's make some new cookies. Yeah, let's make some new cookies and get rid of these dead. And, uh, right? You just use the everyday things when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise. Can these cookies unburn themselves? No, they can't. Give your kids an impossible task, right? Hey, move the sofa from here to there. Now, if you've got older kids that can do that, don't, don't tell them to do that. Give them an impossible task. Right, reshingle the roof or move the refrigerator. Something that's impossible for them to do, and and tell them you'll pay them to do it. Right, and I'll pay you if you can do that. And they try, and they, I can't do it. I can't do it. Hey, let's let's wait. When when Grandpa comes over, um, let's let's try again. When Dad when Dad and, and Uncle come over, let's try again. And then all you guys do it together, and and um and they move that thing, and then pay the kid, pay him what you told him. And they'll say, Why are you paying me? Because you know Uncle and Grandpa and and you help me. Hey, listen, we all need a substitute. And, and who helped you? You couldn't do that task on your own, could you? See, that's what the gospel is. Our sins cannot be removed by good deeds. We need help, and we do this every day. Okay? An impossible task. And then this is related to that P, paying. Letter P is paying. Paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. Amen? Paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. And you get to talk about that couch and how uncle came over and grandpa came over and helped you move that couch. And they stepped in and they were your substitute. You talk about a substitute teacher. You ever had a substitute teacher? What do they do? They take the place of the real teacher. Hey, Jesus became our substitute. Jesus became our substitute and he took our place. He took our penalty. Instead of us being thrown in the trash, 
Jesus was thrown in the trash for us. And he died, but then he rose again. This is the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. And you teach your kids to be in love with Jesus because he took their place. See, a lot of times we just want to go to Jesus loves you. Jesus died on the cross. And a lot of kids are saying, for what? I think I'm pretty good. I'm not that bad because we haven't helped our children to truly see the, the intent of their heart and how wicked all of our hearts are. And we haven't talked through those kind of difficult situations. We haven't talked about the punishment, the penalty for sin. And so kids don't really like love Jesus. They're like, oh, Jesus is cool, but my Xbox is cool. This is cool. That's cool. This thing is cool. Jesus is just one among many things instead of the thing I need most, the thing I need desperately because they don't understand how great their sins are. They don't understand how in debt they are to God for what they have done. You could you could put a bunch of rocks in their book bag one day and let them carry it around their house. And then you carry around a book bag that's got some snacks, some some animal crackers, some fruit snacks, something in there, some juice, something good. And you carry around the light book bag, you make them carry around the heavy book bag. And they're like, I'm tired. Can I take out this book bag? Yeah. Hey, you want to switch book bags? Yeah, let's switch. You switch book bags. Oh, this is much better. Hey, open up that book bag. What's in there? life-giving things. This is what Jesus does for us. He took our bag of sins and our rocks. Those rocks are like sin. We're carrying those around. They're going to weigh us down. Man, Jesus switches places with us. You just talk about all kinds of things. Amen? Paying the price for sin. Jesus died and rose again. And then E, E is this, everyone, everyone who repents and trusts Jesus has eternal life. Everyone who repents and believes, everyone, Everyone? Yes, everyone. Well, what's required of me? It's required that we repent, right? And believe or repent and trust. This is what Mark 1.15 says. Mark, the gospel of Mark, verse 115 says, uh, Jesus was saying, thus the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is here. And he says, repent and what? Believe the gospel. Believe the good news, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he died on our behalf. What does repent mean? It means I turn away from my sin. It means I begin to hate my sin. I don't want to do those things. And man, I, we've navigated this with some of our kids. And some of them said, Dad, I can't, I can't help doing this. I don't know why I keep messing up. Praise God for that heart change because they realize, hey, you know what? I can't do it for you. You have just verbalized yourself. You can't keep from doing this. You know who you need? You need Jesus, daughter. You need Jesus, son. And everyone who repents, you turn from your sin. You turn from the things you're believing in to make you significant. And you believe, not just the facts, right? But I trust Jesus. He is a good pilot, and I'm going to get on his airplane. I'm going to let Jesus take me wherever he takes me. I'm giving my life to him. That's what it means to believe, not just give mental assent. A lot of people say they believe in God, right? I was walking across Virginia Beach Boulevard a couple weeks ago, walking, not running. And a, a co-worker of mine thought they would, they saw me as they were driving and they texted me. They said, you're supposed to be running, not walking. And I was walking to an appointment. Thank you very much. And, um, and, uh, and, so, uh, and so as I thought about them messing with me, I said, wait a second. I texted back, you're supposed to be driving, not texting. And, um, and they replied back, Jesus took the wheel. <laughs> All right. But as funny as that is, that's really what we're talking about, what it means to trust and believe in God. Jesus has the wheel to my car. I let him take my life wherever he takes me. But a lot of us try to reverse that. We put Jesus in the passenger seat. And we drive and ask Jesus to help us when we want help. Or we just put Jesus in the trunk, worst of all, and then we only call on Jesus when we got a flat tire and we need him. Instead of saying, Jesus, you're the boss of my life. 
I submit and I surrender to you. That's what it means. That's what we've got to teach our kids. That's what we've got to remind ourselves. And then the last letter is this, life. L stands for life. Life begins now and lasts forevermore. We live life with Jesus now. Every day I'm living for him. I'm loving him. I'm being amazed by him. I'm being enthralled by him. I'm looking to him. Man, I'm, 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 I'm just I'm living for him. John 10, 10 says this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the plan the world has for us. Steal, kill, and destroy. What God has for us is life. He says, I have come so they may have life and life what? Abundantly. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. You have the abundant life, not paper, not paper, cardboard significance that's going to wash away with the tide of popularity. But I have a significance that's rooted in the gospel. And so this is a process of when you sit, when you walk. When you rise every day, when they're little, when they're big, this is not a one-time thing. You're teaching this to your kids all the time. You're continuing to point them to Christ. You're continuing to point them to the gospel with everything you see, with everything you do. Amen? And so in closing, you know what we need as parents? What we need as individuals, as single people? We need the gospel, don't we? Right? We don't have a chance without Jesus. Amen? And and, and our significance is is, is not rooted in, in the things that we can accomplish on this earth, but our significance with God. We are worthy. We are accepted. We are chosen. We are loved. If you want your children, your grandchildren to sing on a Sunday, you've got to paint a picture of the gospel and a great God worthy of our worship on Monday. If you want your children to stop sinning on Saturday night, you've got to paint a picture of a great God who loves us, who, who will hold us accountable, that sin has a penalty, and that God offers us life, true life, the deepest life, the most fulfilling life on a Tuesday. Amen? If you want your children to think nobler and higher thoughts in the latest fashion than the newest video games, than the latest gadget, give them the picture of a great God. If you want them to dream bigger dreams than getting a good education or making the all-star team or going to college or making money or having a nice house, give them a picture of who God is really is give them the gospel and let them know what really matters in life. Amen. And so we need the gospel. And that's why we're here every day. Every week we're gathered around the gospel. It's the central thing is that we can't do it in ourselves, but Jesus is our substitute. Amen. So we're going to move into a time of response. And however God is speaking to you, if, if you know you need Jesus, we, we'd be happy to help you. You can check on your connection card. I, I want to know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. There's a little checkbox there. Or you can come down to the front door in this next song. Myself, some of our deacons, we'd love to help you get that relationship with God settled and squared away. And so let's have a time of prayer. And after that time of prayer, we're going to respond as we sing. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for being a God who is mesmerizing, who is greater and stronger than any athlete. God, you created those muscle-bound men and women that we are enthralled with. God, how much stronger are you? God, we are amazed at the art, are the artists of our times, the musical geniuses of our times, and you gave them that ability. Lord, how much greater is your artwork, God? How much greater is the music of heaven? God, how tasty is ice cream? Lord, how wonderful are the gifts you've given us in this world, a broken and fallen world. How much greater. Lord, we just have a, a sampling 
of what your presence is going to be like. Oh, how we must remind ourselves that, oh, God, give us grace to teach our children and our grandchildren how much greater God is than all the things of this earth. And children in this room and adults in this room, do not build your significance on shifting sands. Build your significance on the rock of Jesus Christ who says you are made in his image. But that image has been marred by your sin. If you would come to me, I would erase it and I'd show you who you're truly meant to be. I'll wipe off the dirty mirror that you are, the mirror filled with mud, and I will cleanse you and I'll help you see more clearly who you were truly made to be, that you have purpose and a reason for being here that I created you for. God, help our kids to see that significance only in the gospel. Help us all, adults as well. I pray for the person who's here. They don't have a personal relationship with you. They don't have that significance. They've been building their significance on shifting sands. They could cry out to you right now in their seat. And if that's you and you know that's you, would you just cry out to God and say something like this to him? Just in the quietness of your heart. He knows your heart. Just say something like this. God, I know I need you. God, I admit that I have sinned against you. I'm sorry for my sins. As best I know how I'm turning from my sins. God, I'm turning from building my significance on lesser things. And I build my significance in you alone. I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that you rose from the dead. And I'm turning now from my sins to embrace you. I'm turning now from my sins. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. that's you with your heads bowed and eyes closed still and you prayed that prayer for the first time and you you want that relationship with Jesus you want your significance to be built on the solid rock I'd ask you to come forward speak to us we'd love to help you take the next step not going to embarrass you I'd ask you to put on a connection card so we could help follow up with you help you take your next step of faith so Father thank you for the gospel thank you for a beautiful opportunity God to see more clearly who you are in Jesus name we pray and everybody say it Amen.